0: Well, hello. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Julie, and I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection City. And if this is your first time or your hundredth time or anywhere in between, uh, we're just so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. And if this is your first time or if you are uh, just joining us, we are currently in a series uh, called Countercultural Kingdom. And we have been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So this is a sermon that he gave in his ministry. And it's a sermon that really kind of, even in Jesus' time, went against the grain of what the culture was used to at the time. So some of the things he said sounded pretty radical or maybe kind of new or different uh, or just unexpected to the people that he was preaching to and I think that that still happens to us today. It still kind of goes against the grain of what we're used to in our culture now, and so that's why we've been calling it countercultural kingdom. And we've really just been looking at Jesus's words and trying to figure out how we can best follow them uh, as we follow Him. And uh, we have also been taking questions throughout this series. So if uh, you have a question and you want to hear a response to it, or at least get the conversation started around it, you can go to our website, rescitychurch.org. If you scroll down just a little bit on the page, you'll see a question box. And while I'm talking, you can feel free to submit a question, and at the end, we'll try to respond to a few of them. So encourage you to do that uh, if you have any thoughts or want to continue any kind of conversation uh, during the message. So I'm going to read our passage for this morning, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll kind of go from there. So Matthew 6:25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your word and that we can continue to learn about you and hear your words uh, through scripture. It's such a gift that you've given us, and we praise you uh, for this chance to talk about it today, to reflect on it. And we just ask that as we do that, that you would be present with us and that you would um, use your Holy Spirit to guide us and help us to see you in a new way and how you've made us in a new way. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so as you heard, this passage talks a lot about worry. And so I'm curious, how many of you would consider yourself a worrier? Can you raise your hand? Or maybe um, you just are someone who kind of has been in a season where you're feeling really stressed or really overwhelmed lately. Um, or maybe you wouldn't use those words necessarily to... You wouldn't call yourself a worrier. Um, but I know sometimes I hear... Things like, oh, I just, I just have a lot going on right now, right? So it's like there's something that's kind of burdening us or stressing us out or making us worry in some way. And however you think about it, when we come to this passage, as I've talked with people and even for myself, I know that sometimes the main thing we can hear is just stop worrying, end of the conversation, right? Like just be better, just don't worry. You don't need to think about that and just work harder to trust me and be uh, faithful in that. And I'm not sure if we come to this because maybe people who tend, I tend to be a worrier. If you tend to be a worrier, you can be a little bit more um, critical of yourself or hard on yourself sometimes. So maybe that's why sometimes we hear that message from this passage. Maybe it has to do with just the history of um, how the church has sometimes handled mental health and how that can be challenging at times. Maybe it's just your own life experience or your own kind of baggage that comes with it. But today I want us to try to read this passage in a new light. Instead of hearing Jesus as being harsh or maybe condescending, I want us to think about maybe some compassion behind his words or what he might be inviting us to consider Uh, as we think about our own worry. Because I think if you're like me, uh, I know that if I could just stop worrying, if it were that easy, I would do it, right? No one likes to live in a state of stress or of worry or anxiety. Um, And when we struggle to not do that, I think it can leave us with a lot of shame. So I want us to consider this passage from a different angle. First of all, I want us to read it in context. right? I think oftentimes we encounter this passage as like a verse that's on a wall hanging or something, and we forget kind of where it came from and how it fits into the broader point of Jesus's message. So I want us to consider it in context, and then I want us to try and listen for the invitation that Jesus might be giving us. And I know, I just wanna, you know, it's worth mentioning that for some people, worry goes to a deeper level. Maybe you struggle with anxiety in a clinical way or in a really deep type of a struggle. And I I want to acknowledge that that's a real struggle. I also want to acknowledge that I don't think that, you know, clinical anxiety is what Jesus is talking about here. I think he's talking about your regular run-of-the-mill worry, stress, overwhelm, kind of the regular things that come with everyday life. So if you're struggling with uh, anxiety or depression in a deep way, I want to encourage you to hear as much as you can from this message, to hear the challenge, to hear the encouragement, uh, and also know that I want you to take these words, and if there are parts that you're still wrestling with or struggling with, I encourage you to continue talking about them. Come talk to me, talk to your community groups, talk to a counselor, whatever it might be. But really, I think Jesus is addressing here your kind of standard experience of worry. And especially after the past few years, I think we've all gotten a little bit used to that feeling. Almost to the point where we've gotten a little too comfortable with it. It's sort of like when your check engine light comes on in your car uh, and you're like, oh, I should do something about that. But it's okay if I don't get to it right away, right? It's probably not a huge deal. My car's probably not gonna combust while I'm driving it. So I'll make the appointment later. I'll remember to do it later. And then every time you go inside, you forget about it because you're not thinking about your car until you're in your car. And over time, you sort of just let it stay on and and kind of it becomes something that doesn't even phase you or you don't even notice it. And I think a lot of us have felt that way about kind of the anxiety and stress that have come in the last several years. We've let it be, it was a really a lot of transition, a lot of change in the last few years. And I think uh, it was understandable that we all felt anxiety or worry about it. But over time, I think we've gotten a little too comfortable and sort of have let it stay with us and just sort of become a part of our new normal. So I think that this message from Jesus is timely uh, for us today. And the invitation that I want us to consider is that Jesus is inviting us to see how worry can reveal the state of our heart. So instead of just seeing it as something that we have and that we need to get rid of, it could be something that is uh, pointing us towards something different, helping us see something new uh, about our own, the state of our own heart. So we're, that's what we're kind of going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about three different ways I think it might be helping us see uh, what's going on in our heart. So the first one is that worry uh, can sometimes be a sign that we're serving another master. So as I said, I want to, I want to read this passage in context. I want to remember how it fits into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And if you were here last week, Joel preached about how we are called to pursue the higher treasure. He talked about treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, uh, and how we can't pursue both. We have to choose one or the other. If you were here, you might remember he gave us some of those ridiculous would-you-rather questions, Uh, and things like, would you rather have snakes crawl on you or spiders crawl on you? To which I immediately said snakes, because spiders are the absolute worst. Uh, But Jesus gives us sort of a similar, not similar, a a would you rather type of a question at the end of uh, last week's message, and kind of picking up where we were reading today. So last week at the end of the, the passage, it said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So he says you can't have both. You have to make a choice. Are you going to serve God as your master or money as your master? And then we pick up in the passage that we read today right after that, where he's talking about not worrying. So Jesus responds to what he knows the disciples might be thinking about. He is like the ultimate master of anticipating questions. Right? We do these questions and response uh, after the ends of sermons, and sometimes Joel and I try to anticipate like what kind of questions are going to come in. We're always wrong, uh, but Jesus seems to know. This is like a question and a concern that the disciples have, and that they're going to be asking about. So they're kind of you know saying you can't serve God and money, and immediately the disciples' minds go to well, how are we going to survive then, right? Like, how are we going to get by if we don't have a paycheck or we don't know where our next meal is going to be coming from? How do we know how we're going to take care of ourselves? And that's where we pick up today. So as you heard, Jesus is addressing the worries that the disciples might have had about following him in this really radical way that he was presenting And I think this is where we start to see some of Jesus' compassion shine through uh, in this passage. He could have just said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life or what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is life more than food and the body more than clothes? And just been done, right? He didn't have to continue on to give these explanations of why we don't need to worry and what worry might be revealing about our hearts. But he does continue Right? He invites us to consider what our worries might be saying about where our heart and our minds are at. And he gives us reassurance. He tells us we don't actually need to worry because he will provide. And I think Jesus uses money or security as the example because that's the thing that the disciples were most kind of keyed in on in that moment. And he uses this example to show them that worshiping anything other than God will lead to worry sort of uh, validating the idea of more money, more problems, right? He's saying the more you have, the more you try to seek and serve after this God of money, the more worries and stress are going to come into your life. Joel gave some examples of this last week when he talked about, right, you, you save up all this money to buy a house, and you're so excited to have this house, and then everything starts to go wrong with it. Even if you have the nicest, newest house, there's inevitably always things that will need to be continued to be repaired uh, or fixed or replaced because that's just the world that we live in. Maybe you took the promotion and you're really excited about the money that's gonna come with it, but now you're working crazy hours and you're never getting any time to rest or to serve God in any way. Whatever it is, when we make anything else our God, money or anything else, we will have worry Because we constantly have to continue to serve that God. And yes, we are called, when we serve God, we're called to continually serve Him, but it's in a different way. It's not as a condition of receiving love from Him. In fact, there's nothing else that we can worship that will love us the way that God does. Our houses don't love us back, our money doesn't love us back. Our work, our school, whatever it is, your smartphone, these things do not love us back in the way that when we worship God, he shows us that love. And it's not conditional. He offers it no matter what, no matter how many times we continue to turn to these other gods. And the truth is that none of these other things that we worship, none of them created us. They don't provide for us. They don't sustain us in the way that God does. And Jesus talks about this in the sermon. He uses two uh, of what we might call like a how-much-more type of arguments. And these are some of my favorite type of arguments in Scripture because they just make logical sense. <laughs> so first of all, he says, Look at the birds in the air. Do They do not reap or sow, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He says, look at the birds. Look at how they are provided for. They have enough food, even though they don't buy in bulk at Costco and store it in their basement, right? They don't store it away in barns. They don't uh, have stockpiles waiting for them. And yet every day, God provides exactly what they need. And they know when they go out and look for food that they will be able to find it. So here's the how much more part. He says, aren't you more valuable than birds? Didn't I create humanity in my image? Didn't I give you all of the earth to rule over and to steward? And if that's all true, if humans are of higher importance than birds, then how much more will God provide for us? We look at nature and we see this example, and it's supposed to be something that reminds us that God is our provider, he's our creator, he's our sustainer. And then he goes on to give a second example. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? So now he tells them, who said, look at the birds. Now he says, look at the flowers. He says, I provide for them. I make them beautiful. And even though they're only here for a short period of time, Joel and I have a bunch of tulips in our front yard that bloom every year. And I look forward to it every year because it's like the sign of spring. And they're just, I think tulips are so pretty. The colors are vibrant, they're kind of, they just fill our front yard. And this year I was so excited, they bloomed, it was great. And then a few weeks later, we got that awful hailstorm that just obliterated them. There was like nothing left of these tulips. And I was really disappointed and kind of like, oh man. But it still was this like, I got to see the beauty for a while and God cares so much. Like he knew there was gonna be a hailstorm, right? But he still had these flowers bloom in all of their beautiful glory, even though they were only going to be here for a short period of time. And again, he says, how much more then? If you are more important than flowers, then how much more will God provide for you uh, as he sustains you and cares for you. And because of that, he shows us that he's worthy of worship. He is the only master that we should serve because he is the only one who's worthy of it. And when we find ourselves worrying about something, it might be a sign that we're worshiping something other than God. It might be a sign that we are looking to something else for, for it to provide for us, to care for us, And then, when it doesn't happen, or we're starting to worry that it might not happen, kind of shows us where we've put our hope and our trust. When we worship God and put our focus on Him instead, we're reminded that we already have everything we need. We are complete in Him, and we have nothing to worry about. So, that's kind of our first thing that I think worry or stress or overwhelm might be pointing us towards that we are putting our hope in, trusting, serving any other kind of master than God. The second thing I think it shows us is that we might be trying to serve more than one master. So right before this, Jesus says you cannot serve more than one thing at a time. This is where that would you rather comes in. It says no one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And I think he says this because he knows that we will try to divide our time and attention between more than one thing. And when we do that, it creates in us a divided heart. Have you ever felt pulled in more than one direction? Maybe you, um, you know, were invited to multiple events by friends or things, and you're like, oh, I don't know which, where, where do I go, how do I, how do I spend my time? Or maybe you got caught in an argument between two friends where you're kind of in the middle, and you're like, uh, I see their point of view, but I also see their point of view. We might have these divided hearts or these, this feeling of being stuck in the middle. And that's not a good feeling, right? No one wants to feel like they're being pulled or stretched in different directions. And this is what happens to us when we try to serve more than one master. It causes stress because it pulls us in ways that we can't actually stretch. And it makes us weary and it makes us worried. And this word worry that uh, Jesus uses here, it only shows up a few other places in the New Testament. And I think one of the places that it does show up is a really great example of what it looks like when we try to serve more than one master. So it's a story in Luke 10. And uh, in the story, Jesus is stopping in a village, uh, and there's these two sisters who are going to host him at their house. Their names are Martha and Mary. And I want to read you a little bit of the story that Luke records. So this is Luke 10, 38 through 42. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus responds by saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried, that's that word, and upset about many things, but few things are needed, and we're indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So Mary and Martha are hosting Jesus, which if I were going to be hosting Jesus, I would feel like that's a pretty big deal. Uh, and if I were to be doing that. I would be wanting to make my house look nice, wanting to make sure, you know, it was ready for him. You want to make a good dinner, you know, she's trying to run around, she's cleaning, she's making the food, um, you know, changing the sheets in the guest room. It's not really what they would have had, but same kind of idea. And all the while her sister is just, you know, hanging out with Jesus, just lounging. And so, understandably, she gets a little annoyed. And eventually she snaps. And that's where we see when she says, Jesus, make her help me. Like, why are you okay with her just sitting there while I'm running around trying to get all the stuff ready for you? But Jesus responds by saying, You're worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, indeed, only one. So we see that Martha's trying to serve Jesus, which sounds like a good thing, right? If you told me, yeah, I'm trying to serve Jesus in this way, I'd be like, that's great. You should do that. But yet, at the same time while she's doing it, it seems that her heart is divided in two different places. Her energies, her affections, the way that she's going about it shows that she is not there just to serve Jesus, but also for another reason. And when I think about, you know, if I were in Martha's shoes, I can think about how my heart might be divided. I might be thinking a little bit about how I was presenting myself to Jesus, right? I would want him to think that I was doing a good job of trying to serve him. I would want him to be, uh, feel very comfortable, but also to you know, kind of know that I was the one who was making all of these preparations for him. And I'm not sure, we don't get the inside of uh, Martha's head, so we don't actually know exactly what was going on in her heart or in her mind, but clearly we see that her heart was divided. She wasn't there just to serve Jesus and to worship him, but there was some other motive going on in her heart at the same time. And it caused her to be distracted, caused her to try to worship more than one master at a time. And I think it's really revealing that it shows that even really good things can cause us to be distracted and worried and show that we are worshiping more than one master. If serving Jesus can be something that causes us to uh, serve another master, then I think anything else that we might put our time and energy and attentions toward could fit into that category of trying to serve more than one master than Jesus himself. But few things are needed, in fact, only one. We have to have a singular focus. And when we're worried, it's worth asking, is part of my stress or worry coming from me trying to serve too many masters? Or am I focused on serving Jesus and him alone? Okay, the third sign or or warning light, dashboard light, that we come across, I think, is that worry might be a sign that we're trying to be our own master. Because let's be honest, when we're stressed, uh, we like to try to control the things that are stressing us. We like to be our own, the captain of our own ship. We like to try and take things that are maybe out of our control and do as much as we can to bring them into our own control. Here are some examples I thought about. Uh, and and the reasons why we don't actually have control over them. We can't actually be our own master of them. Let's say you're worried about your kid, their behavior, or maybe you're just in general worried about how they're gonna turn out in life. Uh, Ultimately, we can't control that. There are steps you can take to parent well and to do the best that you can, but parents can't guarantee outcomes for their kids. Or maybe you're worried about your career. Again, there are steps you can take, things you can do uh, to feel more in control. But ultimately, whoever is making that hiring decision, they're the one in control. You can have the best interview, be the most qualified, and someone else can still get the job because, I don't know, they knew somebody or the the person doing the hiring just had a good feeling about them. Or maybe you're worried about a grade in a class. This is a tricky one because you think, If I study really hard or if I spend all this time working on it, I can control how good of a grade I get or how well I do. But the honest truth is that your ultimate grade is up to your professor. If it's an essay, essays are subjective. If it's a test, you're not the one choosing what questions go on that test. You you ultimately don't have control over that. But we so desperately try to control things because they make us worried when they feel like they're outside of our control. And Jesus points out that this causes us more stress, actually, when we try to control things, because we ultimately are not our own masters. He asks, can any of you, uh, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And some of the translations, uh, it's sort of translated more as like, can you add a single cubit, which is like one of their measurement lengths, to your height, which is like, yeah, I can't control how tall I am. If I want and I'd be taller, that's great, but I could wear heels maybe, but ultimately I'm still not going to be able to will myself to grow another couple of inches. And similarly, we can't add time to our lives. We don't have control over that. And uh, in the Luke uh, collection of where he talks about this, where he writes down Jesus's message, he says... uh, Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? But I think we do because we want to be able to control it. We want to feel like we are not, uh, you know, out of control of our own life. And I think the world is kind of set up this way to make us feel like we're in control. We have all this knowledge in our smartphones that we carry around with us at all times. It sort of feels like, well, if we know all these things, we've made all these advancements, we should be able to control things in our life. We should be able to know what's the right decision to make here and how to go about every little thing correctly. But we can't. We don't have that ability. It's not how we were created. So instead of trying to submit our worries to God, we hold on to them even tighter because we like to feel in control. And we are um, working on creating like a little library for our kids' ministry so that they can have different books that they can you know, check out or read while they're there. So I've been reading some kids' books lately and uh, one of them that I just read was called, I think it's called, yeah, What, Do, what to Do with Worry. And I thought this is fitting for uh, this passage today. And in the book, um, the, the author kind of personifies worry as a bird. So this little girl, she's a little bit worried about some things going on in her life and she talks with her grandmother about it. And her grandmother gives this example of, um, she calls them worry birds. So the things that you're stressed about, uh, she says, imagine it's like a little bird. She says, when you try to hold on to a bird and hold it tight, what happens? Right, it flaps against you and it tries to squirm and wiggle and get out of your hands. And so the colder, the tighter you hold it, actually the worse you make things, right? The bigger the struggle is, the harder it is. And so uh, this grandmother encourages the little girl. The whole story is actually very cute. You should read it if you ever get a chance. Um, but, you know, she encourages the, the little girl to submit her uh, worries to God and to let the worry birds fly away. And I think this is helpful to us, right? Instead of trying to hold on to them as tight as we can, we actually usually make things worse when we do that, but we have to submit them to God and let them go. And now here's the thing, though, the nuance that I think for us as adults, we can sometimes miss. When I say I want to submit my worries to God, um, oftentimes what I do is I'm like, okay, God, I trust you to take this thing. Please make it turn out exactly how I want it to, right? (laughs) But I don't think that's what submitting it to God really means. Submitting it to God means Lord, I trust you. You are my creator. You're my provider. So however you choose to work this situation out, I'm going to trust you in that and follow you in that. So I think we need to submit our worries to God in a way that recognizes that he is our master. We are not our own masters. And at the end of the day, uh, the question of worry and stress, it's not just about our circumstances, although those play a role. And it's not just about our self-control, can we will ourselves not to worry, but it's about worship. Which master are we serving? Are we worshiping God, or are we actually worshiping ourselves in the way that we think that we have the ability to control something? And when we don't, when we do worship ourselves and we don't look just to God, that's where we're going to continue to find that struggle, that sense of worry and stress. But when we look to Jesus we actually see that he shows us that he's worthy of being the only master that we serve. In his life and his death and his resurrection, he shows us most clearly that he loves us and he provides for us. So much so that he was willing to become human, to live amongst all of us warriors and all of the stress that we cause. And then not even just living with us, but he went to the cross and died for us. He took on all of our worry, all of the things in this life that are broken and difficult. And he rose again so that we could have hope in a new life, a life where there will no longer be any worry. And none of these other things that we might be tempted to serve, whether it's another master or trying to split our time between God and other things or even worshiping ourselves, none of those other things can ever say that. They can never say, I showed you how much I loved you by going to the cross and dying for you. It's only Jesus. He shows us that he is the one who's worthy of ultimate worship in our lives. And he kind of sums this up in verse 33 uh, in the passage we read today, where he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is what it looks like to worship and to serve only God. And it's the key to releasing our stress and our worries. We have to pursue the higher purpose. So last week, Joel talked about pursuing the higher treasure. And here, Jesus is calling us to pursue the higher purpose. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when I read this, I imagine Jesus kind of coming up to us and gently, like, tilting our chin up. Right, Like, hey, quit looking at the ground, quit looking at yourself, look up, look to me, see uh, how much I care for you, how much I have provided for you and follow me. Don't get distracted, don't look at yourself, but look to me to find true freedom and joy. And there's a tip I've heard uh, that when you're doing something where you want to like move in a straight line, so like mowing the lawn, or um, this is random, but this is always what I use it for. It's like cutting wrapping paper, if you're (laughs) wrapping Christmas presents. Uh, And they tell you, instead of looking like right in front of where you're cutting or where you're mowing, to actually look ahead of you. Like look to the point where you want the line to end. And when you do that, you'll end up with a straighter line than if you're just looking down. And I don't really mow our lawn. Thank you to Joel for doing that for us. Um, but uh, I do, like, if I'm ever cutting something or doing anything else that involves moving in a straight line, I've tried this out and I've found that it actually works. And it's a good reminder for us that we need to look to where we want to finish. We need to look up, to look ahead of where we are now, and to look to Jesus. And there's a truth that we can draw from that because we want to pursue the higher purpose in our lives, we want to seek God's kingdom first, to worship him in everything that we do, we need to keep our eyes on him. Hebrews 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. When we look to him first, when we worship him first, I think it helps us put our worries and all of the other things going on in our life into perspective. It reminds us that God is the one that we can trust, and he is the master that we want to be serving. So uh, we're going to do some questions first, but once we get to that time of heading into worship and communion, I want you to reflect on that. Reflect on Jesus' invitation to lift your eyes, to look up to him, and not to look down at ourselves or to all the other things that kind of distract us and, and lead to worry. But before we get to that, um, I do wanna respond to a couple questions if we have some.
1: Yeah, we had a bunch of them come in, so we'll have to find a way to try to get okay. to some of those later in the week maybe. Um, but here's a couple that you can maybe talk about a little bit here. Is there any amount of worry that is healthy or productive for us? Can the pendulum swing too far in the other direction if we strive to never have any worry? So like falling into you know, laziness or sloth or something.
0: Yeah. That's a good question. Um, and maybe, yeah, maybe using the word stress that I I have been using is, is maybe not the best choice. Cause it is like, you know, from a biological perspective, even like stress is small amounts of stress is healthy for us, right? It helps us to keep moving and to keep doing different things and, and that kind of a thing. So yeah, I mean, I think to some extent stress in that like biological kind of way in that, like, right? Like, even on Sunday mornings, uh, I feel some amount of stress, right? Because we're putting things together, we're getting ready, I'm excited to worship God together, but I also want to make sure I'm creating an environment where people can do that. Um, but I think when it falls into worry is when it starts to be something that's, like, more consuming in our minds, and something that distracts us from being able to focus on Jesus, um, but I think that, like, level of, like, biological stress of just, like, something, is, something big is coming up or something important, like, you know, important life events or different things like that, I think some level of stress from that perspective is healthy. Uh, but when it starts to become something that's consuming in our minds, I think that's where we, we tilt to unhealthy.
1: All right. Um can you say a little bit more on worrying for others, like a spouse or close friend, maybe someone who's, I don't know, like (laughs) giving you a lot of worry, um, how can you love them, but still you know, kind of put in practice some of the stuff you talked about today?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, one of the commentaries I read talked about how, especially in the church, we've almost turned worry into like a virtue in that sense, where it's like, Oh, it's good to be like worried about all these people because it shows how loving and how caring I am. Um, but I think that you know, again, it's going to be a natural reaction to be concerned for someone that you care about who's maybe making choices that you don't think are healthy for them, or um, just is going through a really hard time, whether that's you know whatever it is. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down to again, like, who are we trusting in? I think sometimes we are like, oh, I'm worried about this person. I have to do everything I can to help them or, in some senses, almost fix them. You know, it's like something we can kind of move into. Uh, Whereas the other side of it would be like, I am concerned for them and I care about them. But at the end of the day, I know that God is the one who is in control of the situation and he's the one who cares more about this person and is uh, ultimately there to care for them. That's always helpful for me to be remind, reminded that like I may feel like I care so much about this person, but ultimately God cares more about them than even I do. And, and he knows more than I do. And He's the one that I need to like submit the whole situation to. But I think concern and love and care for other people is a healthy and good thing.
1: Yeah, we had a bunch of other really good ones. I almost feel bad picking one more out of all of them, so why don't we find a way to get to them later in the week Okay. and we can kind of address them all, all of them together, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, if you guys are here a while ago, we, we had a lot of questions on a different sermon and we um, had a few people get together and kind of record a podcast just kind of talking through how they're wrestling through those questions or what they're thinking, and so maybe we'll do something similar, um, but we'll, let, we'll keep you posted uh, to let you know. So thank you for all your questions um we are going to head into that time of worship and communion and again, I think communion is a really helpful way for us to to look ahead to Jesus to keep our eyes on him because it's something so. we can tangibly do and and physically participate in that reminds us of Jesus's love and care for us, the sacrifice he made for us. so um, I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to pray and then, feel free as we worship at any point to take communion. Um, you don't have to be a member here or a regular attender. We just ask that you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, and then we'll also have someone in the back who will be praying for you. If you'd like, you can go up and, and just share any kind of prayer request. Um, especially, I know, worry and stress are things that cause a lot of um, need for prayer. So if you're experiencing any of that, I encourage you to, to um, take advantage of that, someone in the back to pray for you. All right, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we do praise you that you are worthy of worship and that you have shown us that um, most clearly in your son and even in the ways that you care for us in the everyday in the birds in the air and the flowers uh, in our yards. Lord, we repent that sometimes we do not serve and follow you first. We try to be our own masters. We try to divide our time. And we just ask that you would bring us back to you Help us to focus our eyes on you, to focus our hearts on you, um, and to trust you with all of the things that bring us stress or worry in our life. In your name we pray. Amen.